Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Bournemouth home game and a preview of the Spurs away game. Is it an away game? It is an away game, isn't it? I haven't made that up, have I? Is it a home game or is it an away game? It is an away game, yes. Okay, that's a good start. Um, I'm Darren Driver, somehow pulling a result out of nowhere when it seems my demise is inevitable. Boo, boo, etc. And I'm here with Martin Riley. For some reason, he keeps shouting about sacking himself and telling people to shush. What a strange man. And finally, taking a break from his favourite hobby of making up racist chants about football players, it's Adam Elliot. Adam, how you doing, brother? I mean, these intros just get better and better, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm good, yeah. I finally got a new mic, so it sounds a bit clearer for everyone at home. Um, and, I'm, and I'm excited to talk about how good Leeds United are there. It was so good. Mm, well, I, I'm excited to hear you say that and excited for you to try and convince me that that is, in fact, the case. <laughs> uh, and Martin, how are you doing? Yeah, I can't complain. Um, that's usual home life. Um, I suppose I enjoyed the Bournemouth game, I suppose. Uh, no, I, just, I, did, I did enjoy the end result, but didn't maybe like the way it got there. But yeah, I'm, I'm good over that. How, how about you, Dan? You okay? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Um, I've um, not been very well these last couple of weeks, as 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 you know. Um, I've got a minor illness, which a number of people in all stats suffer from a similar thing, actually. It's really weird. Uh, it's to do with... Um, it's basically glue here, but when I get it, it flares up, it gets really debilitating, and I keep like having big dizziness episodes and vomiting and needing to go to bed for a few hours. So um, that's why there's been no podcast, because it's really flared up over the last week. So apologies for that. Is that just an effect? It is. It makes me dizzy with joy, is what it is, yeah. Um, (laughs) um, So, yeah, apologies for no Liverpool podcast. We will cover some of the things that we wanted to to discuss on that today, Um, although not in great detail, as there is quite a lot to talk about. Um, And the main thing is the uh, the Bournemouth game. So, um, a quick game summary. Bournemouth set up in a in a four four two. Leeds set up in the usual four two three one. Leeds went ahead through an early penalty, basically the first significant action of the game. And as the game settled down, 
Bournemouth settled into what looked a lot of the time like a 4-4-2 deep block when Leeds were in possession, content to let Leeds have the ball in front of them um, and, and down the side of them and then decompressing into quick transitional attacks um, and being careful not to give Leeds chance to do the counter-press when they were in possession themselves. Um, in the first half, Bournemouth, Bournemouth made several good chances and scored with their first proper attack of the game. Um, and all of the Bournemouth chances came from exploiting weaknesses, which we've talked about on this podcast um, a lot. Uh, the goals were um, a goal by pulling all the defence to one side and freeing up a man at the far post, um, a ball which completely bypassed the Leeds press for the second and, and a wide transition from a set piece for the third. Um, and then Leeds got back into the game through Sam Greenwood. The momentum seemed to shift um, and somehow... Somehow, and what we'll be doing on this podcast is trying to work out how Leeds eventually uh, won the game. So I think that feels like a reasonable summary. Um, and now let's move on to the interrogation. Okay, before we talk about the Bournemouth game, I think it is worth spending five minutes briefly talking um, about the Liverpool game. Um, and Martin, I'm going to come to you um, first on this one, and I'm going to give you both opportunity to say anything you wish to say about the Liverpool game, which you haven't had a chance to say already, which is nothing. Um, so... My question to you, Martin, is the Liverpool win, was it down to luck, judgment, tactics or fortune, the opposition or Leeds' own efforts? I think there's a combination of a lot of those which went into play in the Liverpool game. Um, firstly, some absolute heroics by Elon Bellier. Um, he did Leeds do. Some superb one-on-one stops and also some good reaction saves as well. I thought it's, it's the mix. He was superb. Um, one of his best performances Secondly, Liverpool did help us. Um, they didn't want to take advantage of our weaknesses as often as they should have done. Um, there wasn't a, 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 as many switches to play as I, as I expected them to do. But, but they are notorious for creating chances in wide areas. Um, at times they were attacking us centrally, which confused me, <laughs> even though no weakness in wide areas, so that would help us. Uh, but we did play our, our strategy well as well. Excellent. Um, Adam, what, what did you make of it? Because it's, it's one of those games where I, I think my, my personal view is we got a bit lucky, right? But I think when you're away at Anfield, I think it's fine to get a bit lucky. I think that's, that's probably about the best you can hope for. Um, I think obviously Liverpool did have the lion's share of the chances and, 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 you know, w- would have come away from that game justifiably feeling like they could have won. But at the same time, I don't really disagree with anything Martin said. I think if you go to Anfield and your keeper has a good game and you, you manage to snatch a chance in the last minute and take it, I think, you know, that, that's, that's about the best you can hope for at, at, when you're at Leeds level in a game at Anfield. What do you make of it? Yeah, you're both taking the words right out of my mouth, really. Um, I can't really disagree with that. As we touched on, like, Mez had one of his best games, not just in general, but in, in a Leeds shirt. Um, and, uh, I was delighted, but when your keeper does get man of the match, it's a pretty good indicator that there is some variance to the play going your way. Um, but having said that, yeah, there were causes for us. There were chances for us to, in the game. There was cause for optimism in the game. I think there was, um, you know, moments where we did get in. There was 
the chance which hit the crossbar, although I wouldn't class that as a very good chance. And there are a few other times we caused them issues with our press. Um, and yeah, we, you just sort of ate up the ground, which is what you need to do. You need to cover the distance and, and press as well as you can in games like that. But at the same time, you're, you're completely spot on. It's about as good as you can hope for at Anfield in terms of a performance because you know you're not going to be the better of the two sides, uh, very often, or at least, uh, only in moments. So you've got to take your chances when they come. And if they don't take theirs, then it, it opens the door for Somerville to do what he did and realistically come back from a position where, um, you know, Marsh looked in a lot of trip danger and, and that sort of massively helped him and has probably kept him in a job, um, until the Bournemouth game. So yeah, it's, it's probably one of the most famous wins in Leeds' recent history, isn't it? And, mm. And I'm delighted. I really am. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course, like wins at Anfield are a rare thing uh, for for anybody and and, and for Leeds, um, especially. I guess I I guess I'd just question the the thing that you just said there about it kept him in the job until Bournemouth. Are you saying that you think he'd have been sacked if Liverpool would have beaten us, Adam? Um, I'm saying the possibility of if we'd been really spank hard would have been that. Uh, I also don't think he would have. I think it would have taken until the Bournemouth game, and then if we'd lost that as well, then I think that there would have mm. been a lot of. Uh, call. I mean, they were off session. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, any more for any more on the Liverpool game, or shall we move on to talk about Bournemouth? I feel like that's a, a reasonable, if brief, uh, summary of, of things. All right, right, we're moving on. Okay, good. Um, okay, <laughs> so Bournemouth, uh, we're going to start with a listener question, and Adam, I'm going to come to you first on this. So Jordan Brown says, how am I supposed to feel right now? Am I supposed to be unhappy that there's glaring defensive issues, but overjoyed that we've won? Which therapist would you recommend? So, Adam, what what did you make of this Bournemouth game in in summary? Well, for me, it still highlighted the issues we have. Um, Bournemouth's hitting the channels and scored, and we'd scored that first goal as well. But then, as soon as they scored their equaliser, it was like we'd seen that goal a million times this season. I swear we've seen that at least four or five times already. Um, where there's a defensive scramble, which leads to a free man at the back post because everyone else has been dragged over to the other side. Um, and yeah, three one could easily have been. Four or five or one, Bournemouth were quite comfortably on top, even though, like I said, we'd scored first. So yeah, and and that was a worry for me because by most underlying metrics this season, they're one of the worst two sides in the league, and they're in a, a newly promoted team, one of the favourites to go down at that as well. So it, there's a lot of reasons to be worried, I think. And you can see six goals at home to Fulham and Bournemouth, and they're both newly promoted teams, as I mentioned. And it, it's it's just it, the at the point of 3-1, it really did feel toxic inside Ellen Road. And it, it was quite lucky, really, that we got back into it as quickly as we did. Um, and I think the subs did help but, and they made a difference. But I'm just sort of delighted that the crowd turned in the way they did because I think that had a big a big uh, swing on the game. At the same time, uh, I guess what I'm not too pleased about is that we, we scored a low XG chance, a low quality chance to get back into the game through Sam Green. Unbelievable strike, but it, it isn't a moment where We've carved something out. We've had to unlock the door, and then we scored a corner, and then we've scored from a lightning um, quick counter attack as well. Uh, for me, all of those sort of are moments of brilliance, or you know, a, a, a variant sort of moment, rather than something we've actually had to create ourselves. And that's what I'm particularly worried about. Mm-hmm. Again, it feels like we're we're riding this variance train a little bit, and the look and and the individual quality is sort of dragging us through. Um, and I don't think I've said this multiple times on this podcast now but I don't think those sort of things are repeatable and, and they're not some sort of tactical masterclass and people acting like um, we should now stick with Marsh and trust his process because of that the better people concerning me I had, I had people telling me that you, you know you should look at what Arsenal have done under Arteta and, and trust the process you, you're just completely <laughs> exactly you're just completely ignoring the 
the difference in terms of like tactical system and, and the progress that Arteta made quite quickly in terms of off the ball and then slowly eventually on the ball they got a lot better mm-hmm. over time as well we haven't got a, a on the ball structure in the same way that Arteta does so it's a nonsense you know comparison to be making mm-hmm. but yeah as I say it's not it's not like Marsh has had some tactical masterclass here to unlock the ball with door it does feel very much like moments players like William Yonto, who we're obviously going to go on to talk about, came on and saved his bacon a little mm. bit. Martin, it won't surprise you. I know you said earlier that you were pleased in, in the fullness of the result. It won't probably surprise you to know that I was still as angry at full-time as I was at half-time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, t- tell me about your kind of your journey watching that game and, and what you were thinking while you were watching it because I'm really struggling to see to see the positives even though we ended up scraping a win. Well, when I said I was positive, I was positive about just the result being mm. what it was, so that it was three points. That's another part of the positive sure. that I'm really pleased about um, because the way Bournemouth kind of just threw was just like butter. It was just mm. quite there through one of times. And we, we could easily have gone into the second half being three or four one down. Mm. And they, they had a very big chance from Keith Moore and uh, quite as well, which I don't know how he messed it up. Not like five XG chance, I believe, which just didn't hit, hit well, scuff it, and it's basically easily able to save it. But uh, after we started getting back into the game, obviously I was delighted with the East because Sam Greenwood goal, that was a lovely, lovely finish. I think he's had as much credit as he deserves for mm. that finish. It's a very hard shot to pull off, it's very blind and that's where the people were there. So that swung us back into the game, and then uh, the, the goal team himself, the young Cooper, got himself a header. Scott to equalise, which mm. I really, really enjoyed. I think it was Cooper, I don't know what you yep. And then the the only goal which was really a, a tactical thing for me was the final goal. Um, attacking quickly on the counter-attack from a set-piece moment, that is something which plays right into Marshall's style of play. That is for me tactical, and the players themselves actually executed perfectly. Both of them with the longest carry prior to a goal this season so far in the Premier League for that wow. if anyone didn't if, if anyone didn't know about that start oh, he's bringing the big stats glorious I love it I love a good carry before a goal it's a great great joy to see someone falling out like that just mm. putting it on a plate for some of them but also props some of them because the one that he made was also very intelligent as well he yeah. made just at the right moments finished it very well so yeah, the final result pleased me. Um, but the last two game, uh, there were some of the things we said already about the goals being so identical to the ones that we've seen so many times. Especially the first one, it was just so frustrating. I'm watching the game back and just seeing there's two players on, a, on the right wing and what, what, there's five men all around them within about 10 feet of them. Then in, in the box, there was two players with two players on left. And then, and then you had the late run from Tavernia, who's in the box, totally in the And it just seemed like a good stuff, such a better way to defend these moments. Mm. And we're going to come on to the defending now, actually, because it is a question that we that a lot of lot of the listeners uh, sent in. So we had questions around this area from people, including Mike Tereski, Michael B, Gap, Ian Pittman, Wiggy, Matthew Birch. So I guess I guess the the questions around this are, you know, why were Bournemouth able to exploit Leeds so easily? And and there was a particular question around: is it just that we've got poor players, or is it uh, or is it a systemic thing, Martin? Um, well, obviously, the, this style of play does need a certain type of defender, and we could make improvements in certain parts of that. The players with better recovery pace, 
one of our centre backs have great recovery pace. Probably the best is Robin Cock, and even then his recovery pace isn't great. Rasmus Christensen does have decent recovery pace, although we'll give him that, but the rest we don't really have that recovery pace to get back into place when they need to. But to me, it's it's more of a systemic tactical thing that this system is causing because of the counter press instructions. Once you have many men around the ball, it's a ball oriented press, so you want as many players around the ball as possible. Because I can understand when you're high up the pitch, you want to win it back in a high press role and try to win the ball back quickly. But when you're in defensive moments around your own box and you're still employing that counter press structure, I know it's kind of the point, but it just also leads to massive weaknesses in defensive moments. Doesn't help us when we don't have all the players to enact the, the system for the recovery pace, like I mentioned earlier. So, if we just draw everyone to one side of the pitch, it's always going to be a problem unless we just make changes to the way we do defend. And, and Martin, I'm, I'm going to come to you with the question, Adam, but I did see Martin in the week proposing that we go with a with a plus one defensive structure at the back and that that could be something which would, which would help. So, I think, I think. The the point is that we we could all come up with with some ideas about what Marsh could do to fix this. But I think I think the more interesting question, more relevant question, is what do we think he's likely to do to fix it? Because when pressed about this on Match of the Day, um, he mentioned additional aggression has been the way to to fix this. A uh, player's been aggressive in in moment, and I guess the, and the, I think Danny Murphy even said he can't be that aggressive in every moment. In every phase of play, so I get. I guess my question is like, what do we think he is going to do uh, to to try and fix this? Is he just going to double down on the principles that he's already set? Do you think? I mean, what else has he done this season? That's kind of what he's done, right? He's constantly doubled down. I talked on this podcast about how he's not likely to ever change his philosophy or style very much at all. And even in in another manager in the Premier League, who's just been sacked this week, Ralph Hasenbuttel at Southampton. At the very least, he changed some of his principles in terms of building out from the back a little bit more. Marsh never going to do that. I don't think he's going to change what he does off or on the ball. Ball particularly much, sorry. Um, so I don't think aggression to me makes very much sense in him saying that, but it's probably the likely thing that he does, right? So yeah, it's, uh, for me, it's caused players to lose their heads at times, especially at the back end of last season. Um, we remember Ailing versus Arsenal, for example, and players flying out to things and, and leaving three men at the back post. That's been an issue that's, you know, brought me out in nightmares and cold sweats for weeks now. So it's not something that I think is going to change, but the, the thing that I would, I would maybe add to what Marsh is saying is if he's arguing for, about controlled aggression, solving these cohesive packs, that's largely fine. It's just the only issue is that that does occasionally leave you susceptible to those um, those channel balls if you do that and players will just run out to it and then the ball will be clipped over them or, or down the side of them. So there isn't really a, a particular answer to this. I, I think that Martin's thread was really interesting in the week. I don't know if he wants to talk about that, but I, I could see that being potentially something that could work but for me now we've got Spurs then we've got a long break then we've got Man City mm. and Newcastle so three tough games but we've got a long break in the middle so there is a there is a chance to sort of fix some of these things to analyse some of these things and I'd be interested to see if he does do anything differently mm. but I'm not crossing my fingers hoping for it let's put it that way I guess for, for me Martin um hearing what Adam's just said and sort of thinking about Marsh's principles, it sort of strikes me that in order for this to work you need absolutely perfect levels of physical application in in every moment of the game you need absolute perfect concentration in every moment of the game you need absolute perfect coordination between the unit of the team that's going to put that counter press into place in the game and you also need the opponent to 
use the ball in such a way that allows you to get that unit involved. And that's just not going to happen throughout the entire 90 minutes of any football match, is it, Martin? No, of course not. There's, uh, everyone's human. Everyone will lack concentration at times, not know it's someone coming over the shoulder. And we don't have players who are at the peak for that anyway. And so if we had the best tens in the world, even, I think even at moments in this game, you would still lack concedence. chances similar to this with this tactical shape because when you point so many men up to one side of the pitch, it's natural that they leave a lot of space. And it doesn't take a genius to recognise that space can be employed. I've, I've realised that I'm no way a genius. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's so it's, it's just frustrating. But the guys to the front, I'll talk about that a bit more what I said there. So I uh, took a quick video of, the, of that goal and paused it just when we were about to cross it in. And it was like I said before, there was two players and five men all in 10 feet around them. So everyone was pulled out of the pitch, just two players in the box, marking the two former strikers. And then to learn you just close to the inside. There's a much better way of defending those well. I think you don't need to have that many people surrounding the ball. Um, but having plus three on top of the two players, marking the players who are on that side, is too much. If you spread those defenders out a little bit more, have them just. So if you've got two players on that side, have three players on that side, but the rest of the players able to spread out a bit and cover a space which is being left behind. So it doesn't seem like would be too much of an abandonment. And I think it's an interesting question. Another interesting question, and you, you, you said, Martin, that you're not a genius, and, and somebody that was a genius that we had at the club before is somebody who has been talked about uh, in, in, in the thread of questions. Uh, so one of the recurring questions that came up in the, in the thread uh, asking for input into this podcast was um, a comparison between Bielsa's defending and Marsh's defending and a kind of sense that they, they both gave up chances and that there was a similarity between those two things. So... Adam, how do you read that question? Because I, I don't, although maybe the current outcome is the same, that there, there there have been spells where both managers' teams have given up a lot of chances. I don't think it's been in any way similar. So how, how do you read that? I mean, they're just chaotic in different ways, the two play styles. I guess Bielsa at least tried to possess the football. It's the first thing I'd say there. And the other thing is that his man-for-man press just left us open a lot, whereas Marsh is hunting in packs. They're, he's trying to compress the space. Bielsa's not fussed for compressing the space. He just wants everyone to press man for man and they can be as spread out as possible if, if that's the case. Um, and that does leave gaps, sure. And that's probably why we gave chances under Bielsa. But under Marsh, it's, it's because we're getting balls clipped uh, over or around players or we're getting switches of play because everyone's sort of converged on the ball on one side of the pitch and the, the, the space on the other side. So that's the reason we give up chances. It's not chaotic in the same way. It's, it's chaotic, but it's just in a different way. Mm. I guess I see it that, that under the man-marking system, the opposition could move individual players around to create spaces, whereas I think in with Marsh's system, what happens is that the, the whole unit gets moved around. Um, and, yeah, they, they do give up chances in different ways. Um, but... but I, I do agree. I also think that there are, there have been there were spells under Bielsa when, particularly in the Championship, which I grant is a, is a lower level than this, where where we never really gave any chances up, um, and I don't think that's ever really been the case under Marsh. What do you think, Martin? 
Yeah, the, that is true. Um, with with Bielsa in the championship, obviously, we didn't concede that many chances. We were liable to, to, to see goals from some of those few chances at times, which was frustrating, but that was the nature of the style. Also, it does leave high-risk situations to develop. Is rather committed so many men forward. Um, but yeah, with the Marsh system, it's, it's, it's the, the chances are different, which both philosophies give. And obviously, Bielsa's vulnerable to players driven out from the back. That was a massive weakness, which we saw a lot lots of times. And then one in central areas, because you find lots of space behind us in the middle. So we're no longer giving up those chances in the middle, but now we're giving them up, up on the sides. But I think with Bielsa's system, Generally, did need either a clever manager to find a player to move, and how it will cause problems, or a very talented player themselves. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, against teams around our level, we were fine with the answer, especially in the first season. We had lost a lot of not lose one game that first season to close around our, mm-hmm. where, where we should have been in the table, I should say, because we did finish higher where we should have been. Um, but with Marshall, it seems to be most teams can. And as as Adam says, Fulham are the team in the uh, beg your pardon, Bournemouth um are the team in the in the league with, with some of the worst chance creation. Um managed to score three times and create any number of chances. Anyway, I think we've we've talked about that enough right now and people are gonna be getting bored of our negativity. So let's move on to talk around a uh, talk about the, the turnaround during the second half. So um, Adam, why the turnaround during the second half? How much was it about Leeds improving? How much was it about Bournemouth changing things? How much was it about game state? How much was it about tactics? Um, for me, there's less onus on the tactics side of things. Um, the subs, I've mentioned subs, already. Yeah. yeah, they certainly had an impact. Mm-hmm. But at 3-1, Bournemouth just decided to sit on it, right? So they, the game state is definitely like at play here. Um, and we saw this for them. Last week against Spurs, they were 2 0 up and they decided to sit on it, and Spurs managed to turn it on and win 3 2. So they clearly have a problem defending Leeds, and that definitely played into our hands. And at 3 2, I've mentioned that the crowd changed, completely turned. It was quite toxic inside Ellen Road for that, um, before that, sorry. And by that time, it, it sort of all just switched, and I think a lot of the players probably got a bit of a lift from that as well. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that they sat in just as higher and, and essentially camping their half from, from about 50 minutes onwards, and that last 40 minutes was pretty good from us. I'm not going to sit here and say that it wasn't, but I just don't think it was a, a huge tactical change on our part. I just think it, it was maybe an injection from, from the bench that helped. Um, and Greenwood was quite positive when he came on, not just for his goal, but in general, he was like, looking to play forward a lot of the time. And then, like I mentioned, we were sort of able to just press them in their half, essentially. Um, and, and as soon as you get one back, it all just sort of swings at 3-3. It felt like we were the most likely to win it at that point, if there was going to be a winner. So, yeah, I, I don't really put too much weight on, on the tactics side, but definitely on the uh, on the game today and yeah um I, I was i was delighted let's put it that way but it, i just i think people are still going to get carried away with this and, and sort of draw some sweeping conclusions because a lot of football fans in general are quite are quite um outcome biased so they'll see the result and they'll think that oh we deserve that oh, we played well and i do think we improved but it, i i think it was a lot of individual brilliance or or like moments players that that basically pulled us out and, and pulled out a result for us. Mm. Martin, the way I saw this was that, uh, and I watched the game again this morning, is that um, 
I know, I know. Uh, Bournemouth, well, I, play, I, I watched it with a guitar in my hand, so it was fine. I was just sort of fat, faddling about on the guitar while I was watching it. Um, so Bournemouth from 3-1 to 3-3 really didn't attack at all. They just really sat deep and tried to protect. Once it went 3-3, they actually came out again and tried to have a couple of a, a couple of um couple of chances um and and you know uh, the the the, re- the reason that they were so open for that fourth Leeds goal was the fact that they committed so many players forward uh, for for a set piece so i, gu- I guess I guess I'm in agreement with Adam that, that largely it was game state and the, the fact that Bournemouth tried to sit on their lead and protect it rather than trying to do what had got them to that point in the game. Um, is, is that how you see it? Yeah, uh, I thought you nailed it pretty spot on there. Um, it was massively influenced by the game state. Um, we were able to dominate the ball in the space between one and then got a 3-1 off the rest of the game mainly until they did start coming out when it went off 3-3. Um, and that did help us, although in all that time, there wasn't any good chances that we created from nope. open play. Um, if you look at the, the XG on the chances we created, uh, um, I don't think there was one which was higher than 0.1 um, XG. Most of them were around um, 0.3, 0.04, which were low speculative chances. And Buffett Rose, one of those low speculative Speculative, speculative chances. Easy for you to in, say. <laughs> actually went in, and so that we got that little bit of variance on our side there, there which massively helped us uh, because that, that gave us a little boost of confidence to keep going. And then Cooper got because they wanted to equalise at that point. Bournemouth, like he says, became a bit more, tried to attack us a bit more. They want themselves a set piece, and we brought set piece perfectly. So I don't, I don't think there was anything massive, massive tactical was changed. Subs came on, they changed some parts of, of the game, a lot of positivity, especially when Yonsa came on, and the screen was as well, he did, he did help us, uh, everything he did in passing moments. He did, he did look a bit nervous towards the end of the game though, I think he was <laughs> booming along at times, but that's the sort of thing you expect in the last one, you know, and he was getting a bit. Um, I do want to praise uh, Yonsa as well for laying on the game. Well, that's a perfect segue into the next point on the running order there, Martin. It's almost like you've read the running order in advance. So um, I, I agree that it was great to see Nonto. I really enjoy him. I'm really enjoying him. Um, and it's been great to see the impact of Somerville and Nonto, particularly in the last couple of games. Um, and it is nice to have things to feel positive about. Um, I really enjoy seeing younger players come through and make a, make a good impact on the team. It's one of, the, one of, the, one of my rare pleasures in life. Um, but Martin, how do you assess their, both of their impact? And if you want to include Sam Greenwood as well um, over the last few games, please do. Yeah, well, Sam, Somerville has just been uh, tremendous in what he's been doing the past, past few games. Um, scoring back to back three goals, three goals in three games. So it's great. That's yeah, he has indeed. And that's that's a very rare start. I think one of the. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm not about Steve plays on there, but it's not hard to do. But yeah, there's Somerville and Lonzo are both so positive and positive. So much so maturity above his age was going to turn out, but it's just starting to use the season pros. Starting to use the sort of game, which really does make it hard to blast a little bit about carry itself. Uh, I will mention again, it was the longest carry prior to a goal in the Premier League so far this season. 
Um, but yeah, Green one as well. It's an honest answer. It's the goal itself. So it's really well here. Give him a better chance. And Rodrigo, since you mentioned him, um, yeah, he's doing, he's doing well at scoring. I just wish um, everything else that he does in the game <laughs> was good as well. <laughs> I am. Um... I just don't want to talk about Rodrigo anymore. I feel like I've just talked about nothing else for two and a half years, and I'm just I'm sick of saying the word Rodrigo. Uh, Understandable. You can call him Rodri if you want. No, you're all right. <laughs> um, so, uh, Adam, we, we had a couple of questions um, which I thought were interesting. So, uh, our, our good friend Tom Wilson said, "Who is the best player in the world, and why is it Willianto?" And um, also, Jake M said, "Have these past games shown the heavy investment in the under twenty ones can pay off?" My question is, how cautious do we need to be, Adam, about being like hugely optimistic and putting putting pressure on these players to deliver? Yeah, cautious and putting too much pressure on on these wonderful young men for so long and, and all at once now. Like it is, it is a lot. I would say that, but um, at the same time, they are moments players in this sort of variance ball system. I think those can be the difference makers. And as we saw with Nyonto, he was. And I absolutely love him. Um, the cameo at Anfield was, was good and we were impressed with that. But yeah, the composure beyond his years, the maturity beyond his years was just nuts in that, that last goal to carry the ball. As Martin mentioned, the third time, the longest distance of any Premier League player for a goal this season, um, holding on to it and, and holding off their defenders, laying it on a plate, perfectly timed, perfectly weighted with his weaker foot. It was just absolutely incredible. It's the sort of thing you'd expect from some of the best wingers in the league and that are, well, you know, much older than him, much more experienced than him. And he was marvellous. But yeah, I, I do agree that putting too much pressure on them so young is, is a bit of a concern. And I think there's quite a lot of Leeds fan pressure, I guess, more than Jesse Mark pressure mm. on someone like Joe Gellhart as well. Um, but then again, when everyone's fit, you'd expect since there will start and maybe Nanto will still come off the bench instead at, and at the same time, I feel like we're having to rely on them because when Jack Harrison has his little dip, which he often does, we probably need other options in, in place. And he's obviously going through that at the moment, but we know he's a bit of a streaky player, a bit, a bit purple patchy. So at the moment, like, yeah, Jesse Nash's mind's kind of made up on who he has to select. Nyonto and Somerville, if they're going to play like that and they're going to come up with moments like that, I'm absolutely fine with it because, yeah, um, they've showed... Uh, I don't like the word character, but that's a confidence and a swagger that not everyone else has. So, um, yeah, and, I, and I'm delighted with, with how, as again, Martin's alluded to, the way that Nyonto was holding on to the ball and just showing that sort of maturity that might not have had to, you know, I'm going to keep the ball, I'm going to run it up fields and, and hopefully win a foul or, or at least cover some distance and, and drag us up so that everyone can get out and sort of reset. And not many players are, are capable of doing that within our squad in general. So, so yes, relying on them is maybe a bit of a cause of concern, but they are incredible and we do need to give them chances. I think Somerville probably didn't have enough chances last season, so it is great to see him now playing in the way that we know he can for the 21s and we've seen me and you particularly so many times there um, and he's he's now showing that in the first team, showing mm. that confidence that you want to see. Mm, absolutely. Um, I just want to say, Jack Harrison can't play off the right. He's never been able to play off the no. right. He never will be able to play off the right, and I don't care that he hit the post from a shot against Arsenal once from there. That he just he can't do it, and he's never been able to do it. So let's stop well, playing he, on the he, left. He was actually able to do it in, for New York City, but this was years ago. That's where he actually started out his career, sort of this right channel that he put on his left. Yeah. but now yeah, he, he's certainly not that sort of player anymore. And for us, he's always been better on the left. I completely well, not agree. not at this level, Adam. That's what the pros. That's what the ex pros mm. say. Not at this level. Um, 
Adam, what what do what do these wins mean for Jesse Marsh for the lead season for the whole for the whole thing? Uh, Marsh now probably stays until at the very least January, I would say. Um, but for the most for me, the most important thing is is that even if you don't like him particularly and I don't like him particularly, um, the best thing for Leeds right now is to be collecting points. So regardless of who's in charge, that's what I want as a Leeds fan first and foremost. Um, and I think the pressure's massively just been eased on him, and not just him, probably on quite a few of the players now looking at the league table. Uh, and I think the thing that I've been kind of coming to terms with at the moment is could we stay up with Marsh in charge? And I think the answer is we probably could. It's just it might rely a lot on variance uh, to get to safety. Um, and I would probably want some investment regardless of who's manager in, in January to sort of secure that and maybe make things a little bit easier for us so we don't have to rely so heavily on Rodrigo who doesn't lead the line in the way that we want him to but who's scoring the goals and Bamford who's kind of the opposite who leads the line with the way we want him to but is scoring the goals at all work. so yeah you kind of stuck there so we kind of need a striker that can lead the line and maybe score a few somewhere in the middle of the two players at the moment and we could probably do the left back as well right mm-hmm. so if we get those things I think with Marsh in charge we might still be fine um, I just don't think that this style of football is particularly sustainable in the long term I think we're relying too much on variance and too much on moments but I do think that over the course of the season it's just a little bit and I'm not enjoying the league I didn't even enjoy Saturday for what 50 minutes maybe even longer to be honest until 3-3 so I don't think many Leeds fans could argue that they're particularly enjoying it either until Somerville sticks away that chance Mm. yeah and and, you know for what it's worth yeah it doesn't really matter what I think uh, in the end (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I um, I yeah, I I clearly want want Leeds to win, and I want them to stay out of trouble. But I'd also like to be able to enjoy the games. Uh, uh, and one of the things, one of the questions that we got was from Rob Port, which I'm going to put to you now, Martin. So, do you think that we'll get to a point under Marsh where we get consistent results, or will his style of play always? lead to a very up and down performance as, as everything always feels on a knife edge. I think yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say that it will likely be like, like this for the foreseeable. Um yes it could get a little bit more consistent with the higher standard of players. Um I still do think we are relying on chaos and it'll be too much for it to be um, a consistent way of getting results. Especially against teams who don't want to be bothered and which maybe a lot of teams will be fine. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it is something which could work long term. Yeah, it's consistent. Also, we'll always be like the question said there on a night edge, quite way with way of the other and how the variance falls was such a Based thing at times. And Adam, I've got another follow-up question for you, which is from Nathaniel, which which is that um, penis ball, as it as it's been termed, <laughs> um, and and Leeds fans talking about penises at the moment is not my favourite thing. But penis ball appears effective for dominant teams like Salzburg, um, and surely they have to break down low block teams, teams who play ultra defensive every week. So why, therefore, does Marsh struggle in these instances, but seemingly excel against against good? Attacking teams. So, what what is it about uh, the Austrian league um, that's different from the Premier League in terms of the stylistic um, success of this system? Well, the truth here lies in that you could pretty much play almost whatever you wanted to in terms of a tactical structure in in that league with the squad of players that RB Salzburg have. Yeah. Um, you don't. You have basically the best squad of players. So, 
even if your structure and your tactics are not amazing, you're probably just on individuals alone, probably finish somewhere in the top three or four in that league. So you've got any sort of tactical now, you'll, you'll be in the top two somewhere. And I wouldn't say that you should. I think that Marsh's time with uh, Leipzig is probably more um, apparent here in, in terms of what's not working and what is than the, his time at RB Salzburg. And I, I don't necessarily agree with making that comparison. Um, John of this parish and, and the Athletics TIFO, um, Parish, he's basically gone viral with a tweet saying that he thinks he would win the league with Salzburg. So that kind of answers your question. <laughs> Perfect. We'll move on from that right there. Um, for what it's worth, I do. I agree with John. Um, let's go on to the um, the Spurs preview then. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So we do have a cup game tonight against Wolves, but everybody, as everybody knows, cup football isn't real football. Uh, so maybe let's just quickly speculate about the team tonight and then get on with our lives. Um, who's going to play tonight, Martin? Um, I would imagine that maybe uh, Joel Nobles will get an appearance tonight, possibly. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, he'd want to play at least once a season. Uh, so yeah, um, maybe we'll, we'll let him go. Um, I would imagine Ailing will, will play a right back. Um, Lorente, uh, right at the back. And possibly Strauch at left centre back with Junior Firpo at left back. And the pivot, um, I'm not sure, but probably either Rocker or Adams with Greenwood, I think it will be likely. I would prefer Adams with Greenwood, just for the added physicality that Adams gives, but either is likely. Um, Click will probably play in the second midfield. Wide options up front, I'd probably say Rodrigo will start up front, and maybe Nonto and some of them. I think the under-21 side that was announced, because there, was, there were a lot of players uh, rested for that, not just first-team players that sometimes get game. Um, quite a lot of the good uh, under-21s players last season, so Jai and Joseph were uh, rested completely, Sonny Perkins on the bench. So I think there's a chance that quite a lot of those are involved, which is exciting for us because I'd like to see some of them get minutes on the pitch. A game like this is for me is a free hit, so I would like to see um, a few changes, a few players rested in the first team, but also some of the youngsters actually give them you know, minutes, whether it's 15 or 20 off the bench or if Nanto could start, make his full debut, that would be one. Mm. Excellent. That's the Wolves preview done. Um, <laughs> Martin, how do um, how do Spurs play these days? Um, pretty much in the same contest style that he's been using for years. Um, it's a 3-5-2 setup um, with three central midfielders, two other wide player on each side, and two strikers. Sometimes it's more of a 3-4-3, but I think most likely his personnel will be 3 5 2. We've got a couple of players out of the front, so um, I think possibly this one who may 
Richard, uh, what's his name? That's it, that's it. I believe that he was um, a possibility for the, um, the game of the weekend, so possibly we won't make it see him tonight, maybe. But I think he both likes three five two. Um they don't play in a similar way to most big six sides do. Uh, they don't prioritise keeping hold of the ball um, because they're having to sit back and absorb pressure and slow counter attacking moments. Um, they don't have too much ways of creating the team field, their midfield that they have is very good and very functional, but it doesn't provide too much creativity because they rely on getting space to attack with uh, excellent, excellent attacking players and some kind of one who luckily won't be there tonight, so that's a sorry I had a weekend meeting. And Kulzeski, he was likely to play, I believe, which will be a trouble for us, he's caused problems in the past. Um, so yeah, the, the one tried to keep on the ball all the time, but I think maybe we'll be going back into just possession wise because we're not the best at keeping on the ball ourselves. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do approach it. I'm not sure how they are going to approach it, but yeah, <laughs> that's how it went. Adam, how do you expect them to approach it? Yeah, mine's done a lot of the legwork for me there, but yeah, they're going to probably soak up pressure a lot. They've got a lot of pace down the flanks, and I actually disagree slightly that I think they might play a 3-4-3 if they've got enough players for it. I know they've got quite a few attackers out. I think if they can get two wide players and two wing-backs on the pitch at the same time, then that's going to cause us all sorts of problems. I think Conte will know that, so if they can get those switches out down the sides, then they've got a hell of a lot of pace and I think that they will kill us in that, that sort of area. But yeah, they're likely to soak up a lot of pressure, counter us, um, and, and create overloads down the sides when they get the chance to. Um, I don't think they're as likely to pass neatly through us as, as it's in Arsenal are. Um, so I suspect that they are probably more a threat for us in that sense. Um, um, in terms of a tactical style and a, and a setup against us, I think they've got the players that are quite capable of soaking up pressure both in defence and midfield. Um, and we obviously press a lot, so I think they'll, they'll be quite comfortable in that regard. If they don't try and pass the ball through us too much, then they're going to have a lot of joy. Hmm. Oh dear. Um, what do you expect the, the Leeds lineup to be, Adam? Um, largely unchanged from uh, the league game, which is why I'm expecting quite a few changes in the Wolves game. So I think that um, it'll be Ilan Melier in goal. I think it'll be Christensen at right back, Pascal Strauch at left back, Cooper and Koch at centre back. Um, I think Rocker will still retain his place despite Greenwood coming on him. Having a positive impact, I think Green was more likely to play against Wolves, so I think it'll be him next to Adams. Um, then I think the, the attack is where there's probably some question marks. I, I suspect Rodrigo will keep his place, but then Harrison might be in line to get dropped at this stage, and, and then you might see a bit of a difference there. Somerville's definitely not going to. Nyonto will still be involved in some regard, and so will Aronson, but I think it's a question between um, Nyonto and Harrison. I think Somerville and, and Aronson will start. Excellent. I, I probably agree with that. So... Martin, Spurs are giving me the fear, right? Because as you say, they're all wrong for us. Styles make fights, right? And and this this Spurs are all wrong for us. I, I think they're going to cause us a lot of problems because they've got elite attacking players. They don't need many chances to score goals. Um, they'll they'll use width smartly and they'll hit us on the counter. I'm terrified. Uh, how do we manage them? Um, it's a difficult one if we had a different way of playing, if we had a manager who was more flexible um, to Perhaps, and if we were looking to sit back ourselves and do what Spurs like to do, then we could cause problems. That's how Bournemouth have caused the problems when they played them. They scored two counter-attacking goals from um, these situations where there was sort of pressure because Spurs don't have anyone actually creative in the midfield. It can be difficult for them to um, 
pick the lock when it comes to these large lock lock defenses. That's not something that we're ever allowed to do uh, compared to what is uh, the whole part of Marsh's ethos. So we will not do that. Uh, the only other thing we can do is hope our defenders make smart choices and are aware of players coming into space and hopefully just hope for the best really to see if we can catch a ride on the variance train again and <laughs> take our chances when they, when they, do, when they do arrive. Uh, so yeah, that's the best I can give you really. Thanks, thanks, Martin. I feel not at all reassured. Um, Adam, where are, where are Spurs going to be vulnerable? Well, I think that in general, they've got quite a lot of tidy midfielders who are, who are pretty decent on the ball with the ball. But in defence, I don't think they have that. So they do decide to play out from the back, press them high and press them aggressively. I think there's a lot of players there that aren't technically proficient and aren't press resistant. So we might be able to actually get at them and nick the ball and create some sort of frantic attacking moment, which we have done a few times. I think Palace was probably pretty apparent in that regard. So I'm thinking back to that play in that game, how we managed to win the ball high a lot. Maybe that's a, a way that we could do it if, if they decide to build out from the back. Um, but in general, if they go more direct, I think they're probably one of the more dangerous teams to, for us to play in, in that sense. So, yeah, their vulnerability is if, if they decide to actually play. But because they're at home, they might do that. They're going to be on the front foot a little bit more. Um, they might think, you know what, we can step onto them rather than, you know, soak them up. But we'll see. They might decide to, you know, soak them up if Conte Smart will do that. We're hoping to make Hugo Lloris shit himself, right? That's kind of what it is, I think. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so, what, what's it going to be like to watch this game? Uh, I think we've sort of said really. Spurs are going to try soak up pressure hitters on the break. We might have occasional moments where we hit them in transition. Is that is that what we're looking out for, Martin? Uh, yeah, that's the main thing. But there's also the fact that Spurs are very strong at set pieces, which is often So that's two of our things which have been criticised at times. Um, they do create a lot of pressure from set pieces. Uh, 32 chances so far this season as well as five goals created from sets. Um, so that is something which we like to call Zedig. Um, so that's another thing which we do need to watch out for. Um, yeah, I think that's all the main points. Uh, I quite like when we're negative in these previews because then we're either vindicated right or we're wrong and we're proved wrong. We win or something. Mm-hmm. So it's quite nice when we do this. Uh, yeah, it, it is quite nice to uh, to talk about how Spurs are going to eviscerate us um, <laughs> Martin Riley putting the stats in all stats aren't we again there I enjoyed that again thanks Martin so where will the game be won or lost Adam if we can transition in moments or press them high in moments and I've been saying them in terms of when they do actually counter us and they soak up our pressure and hit us on, on the break as well and down the sides and if we can cope with that and if we have a, a new plan for it like Martin mentioned maybe an extra man free in defence so that we can soak things up a little bit easier but we'll see mm. I'm, I'm not confident but like I said last time we were like this we were like this against Liverpool and then we ended up winning so <laughs> hopefully it's uh, more of the same mm. Martin? Yeah it's pretty much what I would say but also I think that uh, whichever team takes take the most out of their transitional moments both teams mm. are the best when they are in transitional I wonder whether that'll be the team that's got Kulusevski and Harry Kane or the team that's got Rodrigo. <laughs> I don't know. It's for anyone's guess. Um, okay, excellent. Uh, that was fun, sort of. Um, so that brings us to the end, guys. And we'll be back um, early next week with a review of the Spurs match. Um, but until then, enjoy the game. Have a great week. And thank you very much, Adam. Thank you very much. And pleasure to be here. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And thanks very much, Martin. Cheers. Bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 